I'm Justin. I'm Tom. Frank. And we're Plaid Lads. How are we doing, fellas? Um, uh, go ahead, Justin. Uh, okay, okay. It's uh, what's today? Twelfth uh, of December. The twelfth of December. It's getting uh, close to that big old time with the sack in the hand, and I'm not done my Christmas album. You're not done your Christmas album. I'm not done it. I've got so much this, work to this do. This is a recurring refrain with you, Justin, because. Um, <laughs> This time last year, when you were working on the Christmas album, in, I, I want to say the beginning of November, I asked you how the Christmas album was coming because you had just started your Star Trek The Next Generation watch. Mm-hmm. like You had never watched it before. Mm-hmm. And when I asked you how the Star Trek watch was going, you were like, oh, no, no, no I'm too deep in the Christmas album. <laughs> I, I can't watch Star Trek. I'm too deep in the Christmas album. <laughs> I so, sound like such a fucking <laughs> terrible loser. I can't watch Star Trek. I'm making my Christmas album. I love so how in the it's, beginning, I love how in it's the beginning of November, I asked how your Christmas album was going, and you were like, "Oh, it's going to be this huge concept where Santa and I become best friends, and there's a huge fight over a misunderstanding, much like in the middle of the first Tenacious D album, and then we become friends again." And then mid December rolled around that year. And you were like, eh, I had to cut all that out. <laughs> and I didn't do any of it. I make big promises. Uh, just so you know that out there, ladies. Wow. But it'll happen. Who cares? Is that also what you're, you're saying to the ladies? Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> you're saying you make big promises, but it'll happen. Who cares? <laughs> is, is that like your, 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 um, is that your policy on like commitment? Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> um, what? How, how are you doing, Tom? Um, I'm doing okay as of today. Over the past uh, few, like a month now, I've been having a mucho grande problemo with my ears, uh, including my hearing. For all you hey. lads and lasses out there, if you want to. Google something called uh, diplocusis disharmonia. That's a fun one. That's what I've been going through. Um, suffice it to say that it's uh, intermittently caused me to hear everyone speaking like Daleks from Doctor Who. Um, oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, yeah, including, including what they're saying, not just how they sound. <laughs> just that intensity. Um, yeah, it's okay as of now. It's funny because we've recorded two episodes on like the brief little pillars of normal hearing that I had, but uh, it's it's as of this moment okay. So anyway, that's been a that's been a thing. I think what that means is plaid lads cure your ear issues. You know, it's funny. I actually thought because we recorded two episodes in one week and I edit both of them. When it first happened. I kind of thought that the Plat Lads podcast actually caused it. Plat Lads also <laughs> caused the issues that they fixed. Isn't that 
that that might be something. Uh, well, you, yeah. No, go ahead. I mean, what I was saying is like you had also had other hearing problems. Were those related? Uh, no, I don't think I don't. It's it's all a big mix. Um, I do have some hearing issues. Um, uh, my ears have been left tender little vittles after years of playing loud music amongst other things. Uh, so I think they're, they're perhaps more susceptible to these weird phenomena, but I believe that in this case that it was caused by something really humdrum and mechanical, like allergies fucking with my ears, uh, making them all inflamed and whatnot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to get a hearing test soon and all that good junk, but, uh, you know, uh, existential crisis averted this week. We'll see how it is next week. That's how it is, man. You got to take each existential crisis one day at a time. Uh, I, I can't do Dalek voices. Uh, it's one of my uh, main sources of shame as a Doctor Who fan, other than liking it as much as I do. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I can't do a Dalek voice in solidarity uh, with well, that. that would, wouldn't that be more... Uh, worse terrifying yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I i don't think anyone but mongolian throat singers could probably accomplish that uh, uh nick nick briggs the guy who does the voice he does that on his own good for him good for him. <laughs> good for yeah him. he's insanely talented uh so anyway with me is uh i'm just kind of tired a lot fellas yeah. you know it's just uh, my my new job that's not so new anymore. Plus old news, it's old news. But the new job plus schoolwork um, has uh, left me with not a ton of time to myself. Um, and the time I take to myself during the week usually takes the form of sleep mm-hmm. uh, when I can get it. Um, and it's good. It's it's a good kind of stress and it's a good kind of tiredness to have. Uh, but I'm feeling it a little bit, and uh, I'm I'm relishing the period over like the next three and a half weeks or so when I won't have schoolwork to worry about, mm. and I can just you know. For those of you at home who can't it, see, Frank is uh, skyping in uh, from his from his bathtub. Where and he's holding a uh, baby doll in his one arm, cradling it, <laughs> and uh, he's using a soup ladle to pour the uh, the brown liquid. I don't know what it is uh, that he's actually sitting in a bathtub full of. Uh, yeah. He's gone insane, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's a real shame. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've gone completely nuts. Um, but no, it's uh, the the job is is good. It's it's the hours are long and. Uh, but it, it's good work and it's interesting work. And in fact, just today, uh, I attended a symposium uh, hosted by uh, exonerated uh, former death row inmates. Wow! Uh, nice. Yeah, it was uh, really interesting and and harrowing stuff. At work the other day, uh, we had um, uh, a ukulele group come in. So it's oh equal, for equal. in the library or yeah yeah. <laughs> Did one of them dress in a giant rat costume? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Matthew. (laughs) Were they playing Christmas songs? They were. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I was I was gonna say like, what else would they be doing? I also enjoyed how they um, kept it um, uh, diverse, and so they did a Hanukkah song, and then they just did <laughs> all of the Christmas songs oh, no. from other parts of uh, <laughs> parts of the world. I, the world. I so. thought you were gonna say they attempted to play a Kwanzaa song. <laughs> no, uh, no, closest they got was Melikaliki Maka. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which is not close at all. No, exactly. <laughs> it's actually further away. Yeah. They're nice. They are they are nice. They they seem like nice people. Mm-hmm. Uh cool. So Justin's working on his uh his Christmas album, mm-hmm. his annual Christmas album. This will be number 4. This is my 4 years going and I think this is the last. <laughs> no, don't say that. No, it, I go think on, you said that last year. It'll go on till I'm 5 years after I die. <laughs> <laughs> we talked all last week about creativity and and perseverance and shit like that. Did we? <laughs> I don't seem to recall I, this. I think we did. We talked about Inside Lou and Davis. Uh, we may have cut that. Uh, <laughs> I'm a pretty ruthless editor. I uh, I like to edit these episodes to make me sound as smart as possible and you two sound like dum-dums. That's <laughs> Which what... is weird because you edited out my dumbest segment last week where I, lamor- where I mourned uh, Daredevil, the TV show. <laughs> That's not yeah. in the final cut, folks, but uh, let it be known that I am sad that Daredevil was canceled. Um, I I don't want to talk about that. Here's the, <laughs> here's the thing about a lot of nerd shit. I'm, I'm legitimately super... Did you watch the new season? No. Here's the thing. I've good. got opinions on this shit, but I don't even care about it. It was good. It was... I- a return to form and it was better than any of the other two seasons. It was bullshit malarkey made for you babies. Didn't watch it. Yeah. I'm going to go watch Star Wars alone. Oh yeah, I watched uh, I watched the last Jedi finally. L- let's yeah, let's hear great. it. I want to hear this. Uh it's uh it's really bad and I did not like it uh like at all. Is that true? Oh, That's true. Why do you say that? Uh, so, uh, it's got a lot wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> it does. It does. Like a, like a tremendous amount. A lot of shit that takes you right out of it. Stops the movie dead. <laughs> Last Jedi. Great movie. Uh, my second favorite Star Wars movie. Well, you're, you're an idiot and wrong. You <laughs> are an idiot and wrong. That is true. All, no, it's, I, it's, all I ask is, did you prefer it over The Force Awakens? Uh... You know, <laughs> that's that's like a that's like a reverse Sophie's choice. <laughs> See, if if you hate both like equally, you don't. I I can get on board with that. But it's people who loved the Force Awakens and hate the Last Jedi. It's I can't I can't abide that. See, I don't understand that because the Last Jedi is so much better than the force awakens it, it tries a lot of things and it does and it's sometimes. weird it's a strange movie and yeah it does a lot of strange and interesting things like it tries to be a real movie that mm. is also star wars yeah um now and now, rogue one is bad and trash and i hate it you're completely wrong you're wrong see rogue yeah. rogue one we can cut all this but rogue one <laughs> <laughs> 
this and none of this is going in the episode. Rogue One, I I agree that like Rogue One is all about, Rogue One is very much like um Burn After Reading, the Coen Brothers movie. Oh, Burn After Reading's good. It is, but they're both movies that are all about uh leading up to a thing. And so anything before that doesn't really do anything except for lead you to the spot. And the last, the end segment of uh, Rogue One is amazing. It's no, it's not. It's bad. Oh, you're wrong. You're just trolling us now. You're a no, tr- no, I'm not. I have. I told Justin this as soon as I saw Rogue One that I hated it. Yeah, but for bullshit reasons because you're too. No, uh, it's a terrible. It's, I it, don't. I don't think I want to do this podcast anymore because if you, if you <laughs> hold if you hold the Last Jedi in higher esteem than Rogue One. Only as films taking Star Wars canon and fanboy hate out of it, then I don't think I trust your opinions on anything. See, The yeah. Last Jedi is a big old mess. It's very sloppy. See, uh, which I think are, Rogue One is a huge mess. You can it is, tell it is. the beginning they, is pretty. Oh, that it's, they took it away. I wouldn't say it's a mess. I, I would say it's more. Um, there's a lot of. It's nothing it, in the beginning. It's just kind of lashed. And, together loosely for the first half yeah but it is also a very simple story so you can get away with being uh uh, a little looser that way if it's very simple um last jedi there's a lot of stuff going on uh and a lot of it does not hit but i appreciate where they're going with it versus something like the force awakens which is like what what is this like why are we i mean i'll, doing I'll tell you what again. the force awakens is mm-hmm. it's the first movie it's just the first star wars exactly they just, they just put new characters in it yeah which i'm i'm almost kind of fine if they do that with some of the like character beats like i'm fine with with ray like growing up on another desert planet and stuff but there's no excuse for them having a oh a bigger Death Star. It's a planet now, and we're going to blow up a, a galaxy instead of Here, a pl- here's no, the we're argument. We're going to blow up three planets instead of one. Uh, boys, we should have been having this conversation when Barnes and Noble was paying us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> just just yeah, lock this just, off and have a Star Wars mini. So. No, 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 yeah. it's fine. This is we're gonna move on, but uh, final word, definitive word, Plaid Lads official stamp. Uh, Last Jedi, hot garbage. Uh, no, Last Jedi is great. We have three different opinions about <laughs> three different combinations of movies. This is weird. So tell us yeah. out there uh, at uh, Plaid Lads Pod on Twitter and Instagram if and you're a Tom, a Justin, or a stupid idiot Frank. <laughs> so enough about Star Wars, boys. How about the real world? planet earth in a galaxy close close sneak attack fraser crane has overheard a rumor he spreads that rumor around bulldog is going to get fired he's not it's actually father ted i don't know <laughs> that's a british thing i think anyway fraser butts in he has to fix what he solved he problemed it all up <laughs> but now it's going to be hammer time because this week on fraser season one episode 11 Episode 10. Oops. <laughs> oh! Why did you bring up Father Ted? Oh, the priest guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sneak attack! Over. What do we think of this episode, guys? I find it very problematic in there's, multiple there's instances. Here, man. There's a joke in the very beginning yeah. with Niles. Yep. 
we're all on the same page with this one. So, okay. So this episode opens in uh, uh, Cafe Nervosa and we, we get introduced to the never to be seen again uh, KACL uh, diversity team with <laughs> with, uh, with an audio engineer and Chopper Dave and and everybody and as if it's going to be a thing throughout the series and it, it never happens again. Mm. But anyway, the, the engineer yeah, they were guy. They planning on it though. He's a, he's a man of color, and uh, <laughs> he was on every '90s sitcom as the black guy. It's true. Yeah, yeah. He was he was really uh, he was acting so hard in that scene. He had this bit part, and he was really trying to catch he, the eye. Did he have any lines? He did. He had. Well, did he did. Okay. What is the actor's name again? Uh. I have no idea. <laughs> but he's good. He's but he's in so many things as. The uh, black guy that a white that exact bit that they do, yeah, uh, has happened to him in many many sitcoms. Now Wayne Wilderson. Wayne Wilderson is the actor, and you are exactly correct. He has been in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you say that the joke is problematic. I think the joke is okay. So the joke is that. Uh, uh, Niles is introduced to this group of people and they go around introducing and when he shakes hands with the engineer guy he goes my man <laughs> and and the guy, uh, the guy the engineer makes a face like what the fuck was that for mm. and then as he turns away Niles has a private moment of embarrassment and shame yeah. I don't think oh, that's problematic I don't think that's no, problematic it wasn't that Niles joke oh no okay what, what is it it was uh uh, I have a I have a group session with people with multiple personality disorder, and I have to keep name I have to keep uh, multiple cards for all the names. Takes takes me forever to fill out the name tags. See, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're I'm cool with it because multiple personality disorder isn't a real thing. Yeah, so not a real thing, or, or at least all, that that all, version that Hollywood version that the joke is about. Uh, is 100% not a real thing. There are multiple... It's called dissociative identity disorder. But another one, uh, a psychology-type joke, that I appreciated how it was handled. A, a An overeater calls into Frazier's show and says, and Frazier's saying, yeah, it can be really difficult. And uh, the guy, the, the fat guy was in uh, uh, the drive-thru at a uh, fast food restaurant. There was this episode. There was this episode. I, I enjoyed that. And I, Frazier was like, I'll thank you to order a large fries. <laughs> I, yes, I believe you're. Uh, what is it? I believe uh, it's waiting underneath a heating lamp. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I I enjoy the cute. It's a subcategory of jokes that are throughout all of Frasier. I enjoy them. They're they're based on outdated psychology and right. <laughs> and I don't. I yeah. What I found problematic was uh, one. That trope that's in everything, and uh, uh, including the famous photograph of the uh, the soldier coming home or something and kissing the oh yeah, which oh, yeah, yeah. which then you we found out fairly recently in the past few years that they didn't know each other. Right, <laughs> that was basically assault. <laughs> um, and Bulldog does that to Roz when he is all hyped after having quit, and it's like uh, I don't like that. Yeah, that wasn't great. It's uh, it's not it's not something that uh, ages particularly well after the past like two years. Yeah. Don't get me don't get me don't get it wrong though. 
uh, it, it was we weren't supposed to watch that in clap in, in childlike yeah. delight. Oh, sure. yeah. no, it was no, meant no. to be You're not gross. supposed to like the bulldog. But it was uh, also I, I don't like the bulldog because I think Dan Butler is a bad actor. Oh, we Frank, well, I've already established that I don't trust your opinion anymore. <laughs> yeah. Everybody out there, uh, Frank is a big dumb idiot baby with dumb opinions for children. <laughs> His face doesn't change when he's delivering these lines. I want you to look in the mirror right now. Yeah. Honestly, look in the mirror yeah. and, and, and talk and say yeah. emotions. Your face does not move at all because nobody's does. What I'm are you talking actor. about? Face is fucking moving. His face doesn't change. You're supposed to nobody's change face, face changes. Actor. What are you talking about? Frank? It's called emoting as an actor. Yes. Emoting. It's about being steely faced and eyed, and then you go, ah, or huh. Is my face changing, you son of a bitch? Is my face changing? He's doing a stone face when he's supposed to be funny. Not funny. Bad. (laughs) This is is total BS. (laughs) (laughs) When he bangs his head on the table like he doesn't look anguished or angry or upset he when he finds out that he's being fired and he starts banging his head on the table he's like half smirking and frank fuck fuck you dan butler i hate you and i'm glad you're not in movies frank, or on well television i'm just anymore. i just i uh you know you can say that frank because your your, your work as a character actor uh has been labeled has some, some some of the uh most emotive <laughs> <laughs> You're like the uh, text-to-voice uh, one that says emotive. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, hello there. I am Frank. I am emoting. I'm the Stephen Root of my day. What? I'm the Stephen Root of my day. Jeez. Stephen Root would have been a better bulldog. Oh, my God. Are we doing this now? Okay, I <laughs> yeah. think Terry Crews would make a great bulldog. Terry Crews is making an excellent bulldog. I had this thought. There's a character named Bulldog in this show, but Kelsey Grammer looks like a bulldog. <laughs> that is a does. that's a real observation. Well, that's that's not a segment. You don't know it, but I'm gonna sprinkle a little a little like synth in there right now. And that's been a real observation. Uh, we should say that the boss in this episode, who like KACL, goes through a series of bosses until we get yeah. to Kenny. Yeah. Um, oh, I love Kenny. Kenny's a great character. I, uh, I didn't like they built this character up off camera so much that when you finally see him, it's kind of like, eh. yeah, and yeah. it's weird because John Glover is a good actor, but he doesn't look like the kind of person they build him up. Yeah, like, does he have a mustache? He's a goatee. Yeah, he he has the 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 chin part. But his hair on his lip is a lighter shade, so it just looks like he has the billy goat thing. Van yeah, Dyke. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looks like um, uh, uh, a Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> People just smash stuff. Oh, I'll put a vest on him. <laughs> yeah, John Glover really found his look when his hair grew out. Like he's he looks more intimidating and more sinister when his hair is longer. Mm. So when he plays villains and things later, he usually has long hair. He also does the the bad guy villain thing like uh uh like Dr. Cox on uh on Scrubs of just I'm talking like this. This is how I am. I'm a mean <laughs> man that you should be afraid of. 
So he talks like B. Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a B. Arthur stare. <laughs> um, my second um, problematic one was... Wait, wait, wait. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Justin's B. Arthur. You're Estelle Geddes. Ah, I'm, it's obvious I'm Betty White. And you're the... I'm B. Arthur. You're B. Arthur. I'm B. Arthur. You're the... I'm, uh, I'm Estelle Geddes. Yeah. You're the Southern <laughs> Belle. Um, anyway, there's a <laughs> there's a joke where uh, he says that... Uh, oh, my people say my wife is uh, uh, a fat slut. <laughs> yeah. And Frazier says... That's just not true. <laughs> your, wife not is true. Not, your wife isn't overweight. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a like, great... It's a good uh, line. One... Ugh, like hearing the word slut on that sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Second, I was very disappointed in Frasier because he could have, and then I tried to work it out. Maybe, yeah, that's you couldn't have figured out a way to say that joke, but you could have done it the other way. Have, I think this was more about Frasier bumbling than it was about his wife being a big old slut. It is, but yeah. I didn't and like it's, hearing It's about that. the delivery of the line and... I I think Frazier did did well in this episode, but overall, I felt um, it also had so many through-line jokes that just felt like they were um, left over from other episodes, and they were just put Mm. in there. There was the pickle. There was... Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like this. This fell flat for old Justin. By I, it also yeah. had a, a really, really weird uh, visual device where it was Bulldog yelling at his boss, yes. and they used the, oh, the yeah, fisheye yeah. lens, fisheye POV, and the, well, the overdubbed nineties uh, dog barking. Oh my god, that was very yeah, weird. I, Super nineties. This is a big old stinker of an episode. I'm sorry. Guys. Yeah, it's not great, and what. I'm glad they got rid of the priest character too. Like that gag was not funny. I liked him. I liked. Uh, I oh I I laughed out loud uh, in this episode uh, when uh, Martin says that the father had was um, filling in for, for Bulldog, and he just kept talking about Notre Dame. <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. <laughs> cute i liked him and, and how he asked like uh has anybody claimed his uh, parking spot i liked him yeah but this is the force awakens of fraser jesus episodes. christ so, <laughs> so fuck uh-huh. all right segment over <laughs> frank frank i want you to do something yeah i want you to fuck yourself no i want you no i do that enough oh. i want you to do a shut the fuck up at us yeah Shut the fuck up, you two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that was so funny. I want to, like, I want that to be it, but I want to, I want to turn this bit on its head. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, guys. Ah! <laughs> oh, no. Lads. Yeah. Go to the movies. What the, the f- movies? What the f- Fuck, what is a movie? Well, Justin, uh-huh. uh, you take this thing called a projector. And hey, wait, 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 hold on, slow down. A projector? projector? <laughs> yes. And through the projector... Wait, hold uh, on a second. Through? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you play light 
usually through uh, film or a digital file onto a screen and you watch a thing. Wait, how can you project light onto a screen? Wait, a, a thing? You mean John? <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, I'm, I also mean the thing. Ah! Oh, what no, movie just... did we watch this week, guys? <laughs> we watched Charles Lawton's 1955 film, Night of the Hunter, adapted dun, dun, dun. from a novel that was later adapted into a terrible TV movie version of this starring, uh, Richard something, Richard Chamberlain. But mm. this is a great film because it was directed by Charles Lawton. And boys, what do you know about Charles Lawton? Very little. I didn't know he existed before you said his name, but moments ago. He was an actor, <laughs> I believe. Charles Lawton was a very famous actor. Uh, he got his start as an incredibly acclaimed theater actor in the UK in the early part of the 20th century uh, before he became a film actor. UK, you say? I'm sorry. Yeah, UK, Go. the United Kingdom. Uh, and he became a very famous film actor. He starred in such films as Mutiny on the Bounty. Mm. He was uh, nominated for an Oscar uh, for playing Henry VIII in The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Mm. Uh, he worked quite a bit with Alexander Korda. Alexander Korda directed that film and a couple of other things that he was in. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for a film called Hobson's Choice. Uh, he had done quite a bit uh, in his life until 1955 uh, when he decided to try his hand at directing a film. Uh, that film became Night of the Hunter, for which he adapted the novel uh, with a screenplay by famed film critic and film writer James Agee. Mm -hmm. uh, and the production to this movie was a little bit of a disaster. Charles Lawton hated working with the two children. Who are the leads of the film? Yeah, they uh, suck. They're they're not good kid actors, but the, their the performances create like a weird dreamlike quality that I think works. Um, well, especially there's one moment. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. Um, but the the production was long and slightly expensive and troubled, and the movie was released to bad box office and worse reviews. Oh no! What fools they were. This is good movie. Movie. It's a great film. I like and it. Much like uh, many films of its stature, it sort of grew in reputation as decades passed and people sort of saw it and reappraised it. And now we realize that Night of the Hunter is kind of a peerless masterpiece. It's wow. So you're saying this movie had a stature like it was the short guy in high school and then it had a growth spurt in college, and then it went to the high school reunion. Everyone's like, wow, you're a peerless masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, this movie is like uh, if uh, Marty McFly got taller. This is uh, one of the best movies ever made. I loved it so much. I'm done speaking. <laughs> it's great. It's... Uh, we should say uh, the plot a yes. little bit. <laughs> we should talk about that. Uh, Night of the Hunter uh, stars Robert Mitchum in one of his finest roles as a serial killer uh, named Harry Powell, who is a pretend reverend and con artist whose chief con is to seduce lonely women for their money and then murder them. 
which he does to poor Shelley Winter later in this movie. But he also has a, uh, a, a severe just hatred of women. In general, yes. He it, despises it, women uh, to the point where there is a shot in the movie where it's much later where the switchblade with which he uses to kill people is in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And you see him flick the blade of the switchblade open as he's staring at a pretty comely young woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the switchblade obviously taking the place of his erection. Yeah, it's 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 a truly chilling performance. Um, yes, he, he famously has the letters uh, for love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. Mm-hmm. Which Man, they stole that from Do the Right Thing. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. That I believe those two scenes, which are largely uh, very similar scenes where he's this, they're describing the, uh, the battle between left hand, right hand. The other one being Radio Rahim in 1989's yeah. Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee. Continue. <laughs> um, doing basically the same uh, content... Uh, are two, in my opinion, of the greatest scenes in <laughs> film yeah. history, and they're completely opposite scenes. They mean completely different things. In in uh, do the right thing, this is a uh, a genuine uh, uh, statement of this battle between good and evil, of love and hate, and that love's gonna win. And in Night of the Hunter. You can see his eyes change when he does it. He's going into performance mode. <laughs> and he yeah. he tries it on a few occasions in the film um, to varying uh, success. But it's, it's, it's chilling. And they both get strangled yeah. to death by the police at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, the, so the motivating factor for Harry Powell, aside from his hatred of women, is this sort of long connery, this bluebeard... Uh, con where you seduce women for their money and then you kill them and you take the money. Uh, so while Harry Powell is uh, inside, his cellmate is a gentleman who has just hidden a great sum of money in a doll and hidden the doll on his property. Unbeknownst to Harry Powell, the, the money's in the doll. But Harry Powell gets wind of this money and that man is executed but wouldn't you know it? He's got a family. He's got a wife, played by Shelley Winters, who is now a widow, and two shit-eating kids. <laughs> um, so they're in a Frank. <laughs> yeah, they're in a small town in West Virginia, where old Harry Powell strolls in and he seduces old Shelley Winters, and when she won't quite tell him where the money is. He fucking kills her and puts her body in a car and puts the car in a lake. And the scene of her dead body with her hair sort of flowing through the water of the lake is very haunting and scary and stunning all at the same time. But wouldn't you know it, that leaves him alone with the kids. And the kids know where the money is, particularly the little girl, because it's her doll that the money's in. So they run away. And they run into the arms of Lillian Gish, who is a religious old lady. And Justin, you have some thoughts on Lillian Gish in this film? Um, every every single scene that she was in, I cried. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Her character is so. This movie, um, what is remarkable to me about this movie, and what I love about this movie so much is that 
it both satirizes a particular type of American small townness and American religiosity. And it also takes it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Like the townspeople uh, are like a sort of bad Norman Rockwell stereotype. But Lillian Gish's character is a representation of the sort of beauty and the strength that can come with faith and love and uh, preservation of the family unit. Let me stop you right there, Frank. And let's <laughs> rewind a little bit. When you say that Robert Mitchum's character seduces the uh, the other lady's character, she wasn't seduced, son. She was needled and prodded by the person who I thought you were talking about oh, earlier. No, yeah, no, yeah. By the old lady, old lady Spoon is from uh, uh, Spoon's Confectioners. And she is this terrible... Bluebeard! Bluebeard is my favorite line that she says. <laughs> Terrible monster lady, and she needles the the newly widowed uh, lady uh, to, to marry this very suspicious guy because she's just been taken up by his razzle-dazzle of religiosity and and, mm-hmm. and, and their, their sh- her shallow interest in religiosity when she's just pushing for uh, yeah. conformity for conformity's sake. That, that this this woman that she employs should remarry because she thinks so and that's the only thing that matters and she 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 pushes uh, uh, this woman who had a gut feeling about this Robert Mitchum fella uh, the actor uh, uh, into this uh, terrible situation she I hate her so much but and, and I, spoiler I like- <laughs> alert at the very end of the film when uh, he's uh, uh, arrested she's the one leading the call for him to be lynched. Like yeah, she has a blue beard, blue beard. <laughs> yeah. That's where that comes she's from. She's terrible. She's terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible. Uh, can we talk about what happens now? Now, now this, the, watching this movie, I had the feeling that it was adapted from a novel mm-hmm. because it kind of, it kind of, it went on and on and sort of like one of the most dramatic moments, the murder of the mother. What's the actress's name? Shelly Winters. Shelly Winters. The murder of Shelly Winters' character happens like only maybe halfway, maybe a little before. Less than that, I would say. In, in the film. Uh, so it kind of felt like it was adapted from a novel. But uh, she goes through this weird transformation. Uh, so uh, her husband uh, uh, leaves her to rob the bank to help with the desperation of the Great Depression uh, for, his, for his children. Uh, so she's very unfairly widowed. Uh, and then she's very skeptical of this 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 carpetbagger type who comes in, uh, and then she's pushed into it, and she reluctantly uh, 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 sort of gives into it, uh, and sort of uh, maybe lets herself enjoy it a bit. But then he reveals himself as a psychopath. But then she changes. She she keeps saying, "I I want the strength to be what he wants me to be," and she becomes the uh, chaste religious zealot. There's a scene where they're on the pulpit together as he's preaching, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's really disturbing to see how she like loses, like she just gets this uh, <clears throat> Stockholm syndrome. Thing yeah, it's I think that's it's it's truly stunning, and um, it shows up uh, later on. Uh, her her big change starts on her wedding night to um uh Robert Mitchum <laughs> um when she kind of like wants to get some uh dick dick yeah. she and wants to get her back walls blown out <laughs> and and uh he basically says uh uh you uh, slut shames her and says uh do you want more children because that's what sex is for and 
that is one of the uh, uh, scariest uh, scenes because the, uh, I'll get to what I was going to say. But the first time I watched this movie, I uh, kind of watched it as he's a complete charlatan using religion uh, for his own ends. And the second viewing, I that completely changed. I thought, how could you think that? It's... He is deeply religious. There's a, a scene in the cell when uh, the cellmate asks him, like, a, you know, he's a little weirded out by him. Like, what 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 religion are you? And he says, like, one uh, <laughs> that agreed uh, between me and uh, my God. He has his own religion. Um, uh, what was I saying, though? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He, he actually believes this shit. Um, he he actually fucking believes this shit. Um, so when he uh, puts her down and she she's at her most vulnerable, she becomes this religious zealot. Later on in the film, uh, Lillian Gish uh, is taking care of a bunch of children. There's a teenage girl that she's taking care of. And Lillian Gish is also very religious. Um and the girl uh, is speaking, uh, tells her that he, she hasn't been going to sewing lessons. She'd been like out with boys. Uh, and Lillian Gish like holds her and says, you were only looking for love. Like, yeah. you know, in, in the only way you could. She's not shaming her whatsoever. It's so fucking gorgeous, especially for a movie. Um from that time that it's really showing this uh, patriarchal, disgusting um, uh, Christian ideology, which by the way, um, uh, the villain of this movie is Mike Pence. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Secret service. If you're listening, we're just joking, (laughs) (laughs) but you, you have, uh, this patriarchal figure uh, and this matriarchal figure. Um, it's goddamn gorgeous. I think I rambled a bunch there. That's all right. Um, what I, to, to your point, Justin, uh, my favorite scene in the movie uh, is when Reverend Harry comes to uh, Lillian Gish's house at night Mm -hmm. and he sits outside waiting for her to release the children to him. And he sits on a stump and he starts singing Mm. and he starts singing, leaning on the everlasting arms, which is a hymn. uh, I think a really early or early 20th or late 19th century hymn. Mm -hmm. And he he had been singing throughout the film, throughout the film. And it's clear that he's doing it to intimidate. Mm -hmm. And she starts singing along. She starts harmonizing and and singing it in a slightly different form. And it's clear that she's doing it as a source of strength. Oh, this is the first time, guys. You're getting it on the air. I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she's clearly doing it as a source of strength and to uplift. Uh, And there's a beautiful shot that happens that Roger Ebert once called Whistler's mother with a shotgun, Mm. where she's framed in silhouette with a shotgun on the porch. 
And then she immediately shoots him with a shotgun and wounds him. And it's very funny and it's played for laughs. But it is stunning and beautiful. And further, I submit that this film, Night of the Hunter, is the Rosetta Stone for the Coen brothers. Mm. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm throwing in there also uh, David David Lynch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The Coen brothers, uh, I think, adore this movie because mm. uh, they reference it a lot, mm. um, particularly in True Grit. Their their adaptation of True Grit, uh, it, the, the leitmotif that they use musically throughout the film is leaning on the everlasting arms. Hmm. Um, and a lot of their movies take place in a sort of abstract phantasmagoric version of America, particularly mm. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. If you guys have not watched that yet, not yet. You got to watch it. Tom Waits. Mm. One of my favorite performances of the year. Tom Waits. Oh. Uh, let's talk about Tom the, Waits. <laughs> one of the uh, best parts of the film, mm. I think, which is sort of one of the middle acts, which is the, after uh, the murder of the mother and the two children escape via boat and that night sequence uh, drifting down the river interspersed with these shots of these wild animals uh, and then they, they come upon this farmhouse in a barn and, and you, can, you can maybe perhaps tell that it was filmed on a soundstage but it's irrelevant because the dreamlike nature of these two buildings standing in silhouette against the dusky sky with a single light illuminated inside with the birdcage casting a shadow uh, 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 it's one of the most in the, the river on the bottom the the horizon in the middle with the two buildings and then the the, the dusky gradient sky in the background it's one of the it's one of the most peaceful and and docile it's got a lot of like fear tension because they're they're the two kids are sleeping in the barn it's it's time is indicated passing by the moving of a crescent moon across the sky with the stars and then you see on the dusky horizon or perhaps it's the the dawn horizon you see uh the silhouette of robert mitchum as he sings his sing Mm -hmm. uh and 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 the boy says i can't ever sleep can't sleep it's it's oh terrifying it's yeah, terrifying it, it firmly for me places this movie in a sort of phantasmagoric mm-hmm. but very true version of america mm. which is that it's terrifying yeah um yeah i mean the uh it's crushing cuz it was the depression and uh it was it was really kind of terrifying obviously this wasn't the conscience of this film but seeing that it was up upon it was up the welfare of of people who were let down by the economy was upon the christian charity of the individual and thus people were also susceptible to the the psychopathy of 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 madmen and murderers out there uh that these these the the scene where the children are being handed potatoes when they're on the run and then that that this this poor woman uh, is left to to take look after this this gaggle of 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 unwanted children, either unwanted by their parents or orphaned. Uh, really, a, a terrifying vision of what uh, American life was back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this 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 is a hell of a movie, fellas. Um, we should say there is a happy ending. Uh, Harry Powell, as we have referenced, is put on trial for his crimes uh, when uh, he is found out, because he is eventually found out for the murder of Shelley Winter's character. Uh, 
he does get to the money in a sort of hilarious fashion when the doll he gets hit with the doll a bunch of times and the doll just starts spewing out the money. Uh, there's a there's a lot of comedy in this movie for as scary and weird as it is. I, I want to bring up a point because you've you've mentioned some of the comedy and there I, I will agree there is some comedy. <clears throat> but each example you've brought up, the first time I did watch it, I did find oh this is kind of weird and silly and and everything. On this watch, I I took it so completely earnestly, and this is this is why I bring up David Lynch. Um so much of this film um is incredibly heightened right mm. uh, one of the most hilarious and just weird because it's odd uh sequences is when uh harry breaks into the house and you yes. just see where uh, he should be and there's a legit jump scare <laughs> He's suddenly yeah. in the house, and this is when he is shot by Lillian Gish, and he hops away, <laughs> making weird. He makes wounded, a great noise. Just <laughs> yeah, and it's ridiculous, but uh, it's it's the same kind of earnest weirdness that you find in like David Lynch. Um, it's the same sort of thing that Bob in Twin Peaks would do. And it's, I love those weird, strong choices that this movie made because yeah, on the first viewing that is ridiculous and odd, but on second it's terrifying because this is not a human man. Can we, uh, uh, you're just making me think of, um, uh, all the parallels between this film and Twin Peaks. Mm. Oh yeah. The, the beautiful blonde corpse. The the possessed mm-hmm. interloper in, in communion with an evil uh, 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 force. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, that might be it. <laughs> um, the keep going. You're almost there. Uh, can we talk the about- beatific vision of like pure good? <laughs> You know, like Lillian Gish, though she does have a bit of some of my favorite stuff, which is like the gruff, you know, no nonsense person who is a being of pure love. <laughs> um, I, I fucking love that. It's it's not just a a movie about like um uh, pure good and pure evil. It's about chaotic bad. <laughs> And um, uh, loosey goosey good, you know. Sure. Yeah. So a- anyway, like, but as I was saying, she's kind of like a Fagin esque child wrangler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, she 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 basically like whips the two and and forces them to take a bath. And, yeah. Um. Um. Uh, it's fucking. It's so fucking great. It's a great uh, film, everybody. Go see it. Night like, of the Hunter. Like I was saying, though, like I, I love this movie because it, it takes big swings, and sometimes it misses, but most of the time it hits. This is the uh, Last Jedi of films. Jesus, no. Fuck you. Last Jedi was garbage. <laughs> Last Jedi is uh, great. Last, You are both fucking idiots. It fails as a Star Wars movie. It fails as a film full stop. 
Uh, it has continuity errors. It has name five. Uh, okay, Ray is. I've been doing research on this. Ray is practicing with her staff between shots. She this, moves. Are you, are you also feet. a proud boy now, Tom? Yeah, this puts you in a very weird part of the internet. <laughs> Justin and I are, are nodding our heads like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> All right, so this week on the pod, uh, the Plaid Lads listen to From the Year That We're In. Oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah, we're listening we're, to a for, new album. For, 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 from the year 2018, coming a solid six months after the reviews, we have Courtney Barnett's sophomore full-length album, Tell Me How You Really Feel. And we are going to tell you how we really feel. We'll get to it, boys. Mm. Uh, her sophomore record coming uh, on the heels of 2015. Sometimes I sit and think, and sometimes I just sit. Hot on those heels. Hot on those heels by like three years. Uh, recorded on her own record label, Milk Records, and then distributed by Mom and Pop. Recorded in Australia, where she is from, working with the same two people she generally works with we got bones sloan on the bass guitar and dave moody on drums uh sort of her touring uh her touring uh, uh three piece but also with some notable uh notable cameos from two musicians whom she admires the deal sisters everybody from the breeders kim and kelly oh, no, 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 no. Uh, we're just gonna do that whole album. Let's uh, drive it all night. All right, so what we think, lads? I think this is a good album that is not as good as sometimes I just sit and think. Uh, but it's good, Justin. Justin, um, I uh. Uh, last minute realized I had to listen to this album. And so <laughs> I spent uh, driving to work and here listening to it. Uh, there are some songs on here that I fucking love so completely. One of them made me cry. <laughs> um, and a lot of stuff that kind of feels. I, I'm, it's good. This is a good album with some bright spots and some that I don't. Yeah, that seems to be more. that seems to be the critical um, consensus on it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was generally favorably re favorably reviewed, with one exception being AV Club, who gave it a C. And I I looked at that review, and basically that review was saying the same thing as everybody else, mm -hmm. except what, which is that it's sort of more, uh, uh, it's less pointed and more timid than sometimes I said. But that was their main point, that it was less pointed and more timid. I kind of agree. I kind of agree. Uh, it, it strikes me, Courtney Barnett has this charm to uh, her, which is kind of like her whole like deal as a musician. And it comes from her point of view, and it comes from her sort of like averageness. I'll say sort of like the relatability and frankness of her of her outlook on things, and uh, that was sort of that was sort of the charm, especially early on with like Avant Gardner, and then for most of sometimes I I sit uh, that sort of daydreamy kind of like you know uh, oh wait you do that too kind ofness mm. <laughs> of it. And this one it had less of that. It was more her kind of. It felt like. 
before she was this person overwhelmed by her situation and reacting to it in a way that was very relatable and endearing. And this one was she sat down to write a record, but with that same kind of um, reactionary averageness. Like, it wasn't like she took up a point of view and explored it. Um, and thus, it's got some really solid tunes musically, but for me, it fell a little flat. What she uh, has done, uh, I, 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 yes, there is that kind of like um, the endearing averageness, which is like the persona and, and her point of view in the songs. But the thing that I find most interesting and I, I think she's uh, great is in the composition of the music, which that's why a lot of this fell flat for me because it seemed more generic and anachronistic. Uh, that a lot of what I love about her music is she reminds me of the roaches. She reminds me of it's mm. the, the kind of thing that just laying out um, what you're talking about, <laughs> just saying what you're talking about. I had an epiphany about her the other week mm-hmm. while listening to some Jonathan Richmond which is that mm. yeah. she reminds me of Jonathan yeah. Richmond. Absolutely. Kind of very specifically with her vocal delivery. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if she she's kind of like super Jonathan Richmond ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's a, uh, because it's such a kind of subtle thing to that. I'm having trouble even describing what that means that there's not a, a genre of that kind of music because it's so subtle. Um, but whenever I find something like that, uh, I, I'm going to throw Connie Converse in there. There's a recent uh, who I recently discovered for yourself. F- yes, for myself. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> wait. You found where she went. <laughs> she yeah, disappeared, yes, and you I discovered didn't, I didn't her. Find her in my basement. <laughs> a Star Is Born, starring Justin Totora. Yes. <laughs> um, and but that's the sort of thing that if you are good at that, and not only good at that have an interest in making that kind of music, you've set yourself up for your whole career. I, I mean, Jonathan Richmond's the perfect example. He found a good thing and he did it the rest of his life because you can. When it's something that's so weird and specific, um, you can put anything you want into that. And that's what's kind of disappointing about this album. Though once I... I I didn't listen too much to the first album either. I heard what everybody did. I found out about her on NPR. <laughs> right. Um, but those kind of things, and there are a few songs on this album, the first track and the song Charity, which is the one that made me cry. It's a um, great song. That are in that vein. And it's like, mm, that you found that stick in that. And I would become a fan, <laughs> a huge fan. Um, so one thing about this record, I was talking to Justin about this a little earlier, which is uh, she, uh, Courtney Barnett is a uh, uh, unabashed fan of the Breeders. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she likes the Pixies too, but she's weirdly very into the Breeders. Uh, he's giving the finger. If, if, oh, if I she think, likes the the Breeders more than the Pixies, then I mean she's right. Okay, we we'll, we'll 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 come oh, back. Shit. We'll come back to it, guys. We'll get there. Save it. Save it. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, and. So famously, in 1994, uh, 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 the Breeders and Pavement 
had this beef uh, where uh, based upon it was the you know Breeders' first record, only record of the 90s uh, with Cannonball. And I think uh, there was some sort of beef between Kim Deal and Stephen Malkmus. And, and uh, Malkmus, it might be apocryphal, was like, uh, uh, you know, something to the tune of like, the world deserves cut your hair, but instead we've got Cannonball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um which I'm totally mischaracterizing, I think. But uh, I think it was as simple as a child, childish uh, cannonballs better than cut your hair. No, cut <laughs> your hair is better. Uh, and so anyway, so 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 uh, there was that beef back then, and and Courtney Barnett really loves Deal Sisters so much so that they make cameos on this album. Yet I've never heard a record that references pavement so heavily, mm-hmm. specifically Stephen Malkmus's guitar playing, specifically mm-hmm. like lead noodling. Yeah, but also I think just uh, also a, a kind of general Stephen Malkmus thing that she has some chord changes. Well, a few that are like very Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks in a good way. Uh-huh. I'm not saying. Um, but yeah, and she's going on or is on tour or was on tour or played a few shows with them. And yeah, I, I, at the time I hadn't heard this album, I felt that that's kind of weird. But no, no, it makes complete sense. <laughs> it's this weird irony because she she's Australian and she was very much like an outsider, but she sort of got ingratiated by a very specific sector of the American indie rock thing. She worked with Kurt Vile, who's sort of like the standard barrier of Matador. Uh, obviously the, you know, the founder of American indie rock in a way. Um, and then, uh, who, who else should drum for them besides Janet Weiss, sort of American indie rock percussion royalty, uh, not least for working with Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks, um, and the rest of the sort of Cascadian indie tradition, your Slater Kinney's, your Quasi's, um, your wild flags. Again with the wild flag. We'll get there. We're going to get to that album. <laughs> it's like the last band with Janet Weiss that I haven't heard. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say something about Australia. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we, we're, we're going into Justin's uh, anti-globalist rant. <laughs> no. Um, um, uh, Austra- I, li- I consume a fair amount of Australian media, mainly podcasts. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> why? why? <laughs> Jesus, Frank, tell, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah. And um, Australia is so similar to America. It's this, or at least my experience of America. There are lots of like rednecks and. Oh, yeah. And um, I feel like I could go there and live my exact same life. Um, and that's a weird thing about uh, Courtney Barnett is that uh, she kind of confirms that. Yeah, it feels yeah, like yeah. so very specific to she's, she feels my like, life and my area. Yeah, she's like the Australian. She's from Australian South Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Now, you, Frank, you said you saw her. Yeah, she rules uh, live. She's really good. Uh, she fucking shreds when she plays live and she's really loud. Um, and she does a lot of, uh, playing with the pacing of certain songs. Like she plays depressed and kind of fast. Um, 
and she messes around with uh, Avant Gardner a little bit uh, too. Like she noodles a bit on that song more. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. She she's not content to just play the record. Right. When she's playing, she always just kind of fools around. I, I I am not saying I'm the same as Courtney Barnett, but she and her band remind me of the time I had a three piece backing my songwriting stuff up, including Justin Zatora on the bass guitar on the bass. And uh, shout out to Sean Sachs, the best local uh, drummer. Sean Sachs. It's a true fact, everybody. Uh, he is great. <laughs> he's a great human being. There's nobody who, when you say Sean Sachs, won't say he's a great human being. He makes balloon animals for children. For a living. And then he plays drums in a billion bands a night. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so uh, back in those days when I like was writing songs and I had a three-piece they, they they remind me of that, which is where they're they're just having fun being a rock band. There's not that sort of cerebral world building or ardent professionalism. These seems these 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 two dudes. I it might be a bigger band now, but these two dudes uh, she's playing with and has been playing with seem like the people she just found in her local music scene uh, and have been with her for years. And they don't seem like artours or hipsters, snobby types. I, I they seem like they're genuine musicians having fun so they're just playing loud and they're jamming and it's probably a blast to watch yeah it's it's super fun if you get a chance to see her live take it um because like tom you're 100 percent right they are just having fun and being a live band and playing a show like you you get the sense that like there's the kind of energy to playing a show that a band that's only filled with semi young people can still have. Right. Because after a while it just becomes sort of perfunctory, even in the best performers. Um, there's, there's still like a spark there. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of her appeal. A lot of her appeal is so specific to her personality and her as a person. People love her. She's very endearing. She is. She's very lovable as like a figure. That's why she put that, big moon face of hers on the right on the cover of this album yeah anyway consensus is we like it just not much as uh sometimes i just sit or sometimes i sit fraser where is the fraser 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 the crane fraser fraser the crane ba 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 fraser takes his dad to a doctor but the doctor died that's a bad sign if you ask me (laughs) get it Frazier is now concerned with his own mortality because the doctor is similar to him in every way. Uh, but then he discovers that he solves the issue by talking to some Jewish people this week on Frazier season one, episode 11 death becomes him. Huh? So here's, a, here's something about this episode right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Niles is crazy creepier to Daphne in this episode than he has been to date that I had this very question because previously on the podcast, I uh, uh, applauded the show for not uh, sexualizing Daphne or not making her an object. And I laid the blame on Niles. Niles is sexualizing Daphne, but the show up until uh, spoiler alert this point, I didn't feel was, but this time the show does it. Does the show? I had that question. She it's- she she has a line 
where she's talking about how, oh, you you boys should be okay with having a woman doctor for once. Uh, oh, can you imagine yourselves uh, naked and yeah. uh, goose-fleshed and scared and alone uh, while someone's touching you and Niles is just staring at her? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a trope that they do throughout throughout the series. I I, I chalk it up to a, an awkwardness. Maybe they didn't know what they wanted to do with that bit this early on. Like they also had like a really really weird. Daphne Daphne was weirder than she's ever been in this episode. Like she was yeah. more unformed in this episode than she was in previous ones. Mm. Like she had some weird stage movement where she kind of traipses over to the couch in a really uncharacteristic way and she kind of like touches one of the other actors on the knee to reassure him in a really just like it's really weird as if they like retooled her halfway through and then they put her back the way she was. Mm. Yeah. Um because that that bit right there with at the doctors, that's something that comes back time and time again. But sort of once the characters are sort of more familiar with each other, like for instance, they're reminiscing about like youthful trysts uh, or or embarrassing moments that they have to live down. And she'll tell similarly sort of revealing stories, and Niles will similarly become uh, transfixed. But in those, it's more of like a like a slapstick kind of like uh, Buster Keaton uh, overdone silent like like physical comedy mm. thing. Whereas mm. this, he was just sort of like like licking Leering his lips and, and yeah, getting was, sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like saying, going cross-eyed you. and getting a boner. You hear, you hear the switchblade go in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. It was uh, aggressive. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. And she she makes a comment about wearing a hospital gown, um, and like having your your, as she says, bum hang out of the hospital gown, and he ma- he like does a look, yeah, uh, kind of a thing, and it's it, it's it's packed into the beginning, like none of this goes past a certain point. Yeah, it's just a but dark spot. It, it on. stood out. This is one of the times that the show has done this, the Niles being a creep thing that. Frazier doesn't see Frazier doesn't react to it. And I think that might be a part of why it feels so disgusting. Cause normally Frazier looks at him and judges him. Yeah. 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 They, they, I think this episode was written out of order mm. or was filmed out of order because the way that it's played, you would think Frazier doesn't know it yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I could totally, even with the performances, I could totally see this being like the third episode they filmed or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, like this was, I think this was early. Speaking of the characters and them being themselves, I, I'm going to contradict myself. I think we got some, uh, we got some really good solid John Mahoney in this one. Uh, Great job. Uh, the waiting room bit uh, when they're sitting there. <laughs> they kept they kept it off with a really awkward kind of joke, where this old lady kind of gives him the litany of all the things of the reasons why she's in there to see the doctor, and uh, uh, Fraser had been encouraging Martin to pass the time by reading a Cosmopolitan magazine like sex quiz. <laughs> this, uh, is, this is a really good joke. Yeah, and. And it was still on his mind. And after the old lady gives him the litany and she goes, uh, oh, well, why are you in here? And he, he can't think of anything. So he says, I've got sensitive nipples. <laughs> <laughs> I also like um, he's reading out the the Cosmo quiz and Fraser says, it's not an oral exam. And Jesus. he goes, you missed the next question town. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Um, yeah, good good jokes in this one, I think. Better than the the one before it. There are the at the Shiva at the end. Oh, he's asking um them all about him and uh of multiple people uh, about the doctor asking about his health. And multiple people said uh are just saying like No, yeah, he was the healthiest man ever. Uh uh he played basketball four times a week and Frazier says uh oh, are you sure he's not even dead? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Immediately, it was like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, like the, the people he's talking to who are being super friendly are just like uh, crying. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and then the episode ends on a, a weird note where uh-huh. he's leaving, and then a, a beautiful young woman comes up randomly uh-huh. and says, "I saw you, and I think you're great, and I would want to." get to know you and then have sex on you. Yeah. And he, and he kind of like, Oh, do oh, sex to you sometime. That's, that's the end. Um, and it was so poorly handled cause they could have based it in some form of reality. Like I was literally thinking like, like multiple people said they listened to a show, have her be a listener, not just, here is a random beautiful woman to have sex on you. Justin, Justin, first of all, <laughs> grief makes people do weird things. Second of all, th- this was a this was a, a Jewish funeral. It was uh, they were sitting shiva, so like so like you don't know the shiksa appeal of Kelsey Kramer in the Jewish community. <laughs> I mean Lilith was Jewish for That's crying out loud. That's a Seinfeld joke by the way. <laughs> He's got a fucking Easter Island head, (laughs) and he is as hairy as um, uh, disgusting. (laughs) You're getting me revved up, baby. Jesus. Uh, (laughs) There we go. Can you see that? Yeah. Yes, I can. (laughs) So I'm showing Frank a mug that Justin gave me for Christmas, and it is uh, a mug with some vaporwave graphics on it, a deep fried dank meme. Of the quintessential Fraser moment of all time, where Kelsey Grammer belts out, "I am wounded." <laughs> oh my god! To anyway, right. I, I wanted I wanted to bring this up because I had this uh, real observation uh, while watching the episode that th- how on multiple levels, but this way specifically this time, how weird of a show this is that it is about a single middle aged man. Yeah. And the life and travails of that person. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, naked Frazier. <laughs> you you don't want to have sex on him? <laughs> God. But normally if it's it's either young people or uh middle young or if they're middle aged they have children. This is a very odd show. Yeah, no, I, that's one of my favorite things about this show. It, mm-hmm. that it's about um uh, it's it's not about adolescence or late adolescence or prolonged adolescence. Is they are adults, and the yeah. story continues. The tribulations, defining yourself, living your life, uh, and uh, the conflict continues. And I find that very satisfying in in a show that it's not about it's not about becoming who you are. You are who you are, and you still have to deal with shit. Real quick, I'm recommending. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast on Netflix, the new Coen Brothers film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's an anthology western. Uh, it is by turns funny and terrifying and sad and uh, fills me with joy. Uh, it is the Coen Brothers' most direct reckoning with doom and death that I can think of. 
Uh, and Tom Waits gives uh, one of my favorite performances of the year, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Everybody go see it. Nice. I just finished uh, my <clears throat> first watch of Avatar The Last Airbender, and I just last night finished yes. Yes. watching uh, The Legend of Korra. Uh, watch both shows. Uh, we will watch. talk about it at some we point. We will, because watch both shows. Watch watch all of Korra, mm-hmm. but really only watch season three of Korra. I think there we'll get to it. Boys, okay. boys, but, boys. But it's a... Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender Bender is a, an incredible show. Um, uh, the Legend of Korra is a very interesting uh, world-building and a completely different show where that expands the mythology. Uh, and I think it's very much worth it. Watch both, read the comics. Uh, Netflix is making a, a live action show, remake. which they shouldn't, they shouldn't, but I'm interested to see what they have. Cause the original creators are on board. We'll see. Uh, it doesn't need to be though, because avatar, the last airbender exists. Go out there, watch it. I love you all. Uh, I, I during my weeks of, uh, bizarre hearing phenomena. I would distract myself by watching the entirety of the great BBC show uh, Extras with, of mm. course, uh, Ricky Gervais uh, and various guest cameos. And I really wish I knew the name of the Scottish lady by heart. She's very char- charming in that. She's great. Hilarious, wonderful cameos. I'm sure you've seen all of the cameos on YouTube already, but it's also one of the most heartwarming character stories between the relationship between the Scottish lady and Ricky Gervais. It's a fantastic show. Go watch it again, maybe, perhaps, if you haven't already. Next week, everybody, guess what? It's Christmas. Christmas time is here. Everybody cheer. We're, gonna, we're talking Christmas stuff and all that shit, and then it'll be over, and we can move on with our fucking lives. Maybe my album will be done. But we're going to be also be talking about, get ready, Frasier, Season 1, Episode 12. Miracle on 3rd or 4th Street, the Christmas Uh. episode, and we're going to be watching. It's on Netflix. I haven't seen it. It looks really bad. It's got Kurt Russell in it. I'm not excited for this. We should have done a good movie. It's in the Criterion (laughs) Eclipse uh, series. Um, The Christmas Chronicles, everybody. Go watch it on Netflix. It's going to be be something. (laughs) It's going to be a real blast. I'm not looking forward to this. Anyway, you stupid fucks, uh, <laughs> follow us on, on social media, Instagram, Twitter, our Gmail, all the same, Plaid Lads Pod. At, at Plaid Lads Pod. Add Frank McDevitt to tweet at me and yell at me for my opinions. And the email is not at Plaid Lads Pod. The email is pladladspod at gmail.com. You all know what I'm talking about, you dummies. Um, if you leave us a five-star review... On uh, Apple Podcasts or any other thing that I can see, <laughs> um, we will read your reviews on the air. Um, Who are Plaid Lads fan and welcome to Wonderfalls? Oh, you you must watch because there are five uh, reviews now. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, it's not. Uh, one of them I hope is left by Lindsay. Shout out to Lindsay. Shout out to Lindsay. This is from Monster Mash Johansson. 
Uh, subject line is, yeah, great pod, good job. This is from Jesus Hampson Christ. Parm. Uh, good to listen to. I listen to it, and it is good. <laughs> Fun to listen to, and also good to listen to. You should listen to if you like to listen to good things, too. Here's Welcome from Welcome to, to Wonderfalls. Fun, very silly. Get a load of these guys. <laughs> this is from Plant Lads Forever. Cool, we like it. Jesus. This is from Aunt New Joyzy. Fun podcast. Get silly, then it gets dark, then it gets insightful. Good podcast if you like specific things. That could be one of you out there. All of those were me. <laughs> we need reviews, guys. <laughs> Please. So, yeah, once you get done listening to this uh, three-hour episode, uh, re- review us on the internet. Goodbye! Bye! Oh, yeah, I have, Bye, have a band. Check out my band. Check out All band. of Frank's co-workers. It's called Elbow Ache. Yeah. It's on the internet. Elbow Ache, you can search it. It's on Bandcamp. I'm welcome to wonderfalls.bandcamp.com. I'm welcome underscore to underscore wonderfalls on Instagram. I'm also some things that made me cry on Instagram. Get into it. I have nothing to plug. I work in the legal field. Hey, you. Oh, I, never mind. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit stop now.